Hey everybody, welcome back to another episode of the Impossible Podcast. Today's show is brought to you by Impossible Gear, as always. If you're looking to push your limits and do something on your Impossible list, head on over to impossiblegear.com to get your Impossible shirt, your Impossible hoodie, and all sorts of other Impossible gear. They look awesome, they feel great, and they may cause you to spontaneously decide to run an ultramarathon. So we have to put that disclaimer in there just in case it happens. Uh, Impossible Gear is the best way to get comfortable while doing something uncomfortable. So head on over to impossiblegear.com today and check it out. Today's guest is Akshay Nanavati. He's a former Marine, a PTSD survivor, turned entrepreneur, and he's currently attempting to run across every country on the planet. I originally connected with him a few years ago while talking about running ultra marathons and different quests we were working on. He's an inspiring dude with a cool mission, and he actually even got me started running across a few, a few countries of my own. I think you guys are really going to enjoy this one. So without further ado, who who says that, guys? Who says without further ado still? But <laughs> I don't I don't have a better thing to say there, so let's get it. All right, and we're live. I'm here with Akshay Nanavati. I think I got that right. Uh, founder of Fearvana and man who is running across. You've made it your mission to run across every single country in the world. Is that correct? Yes, sir. That is. <laughs> it's crazy. So as it we, sounds. We've uh, actually, you know, it doesn't you sound that crazy to me. I'm like, <laughs> I, I'm down. Um, so. I think we met, what, two or three years ago uh, just via the internet, but uh, if you want to go ahead and give people a little bit of your background, a little bit of your story, sure. uh, we can start there and then kind of go uh, go from there. Yeah, sure. So a little bit about what, what led me to Fearvana and everything I'm doing now. Uh, the journey kind of started in high school where, you know, after moving from India to Singapore to the US, I got into drugs pretty heavily for about a year and a half. I lost two friends to drug addiction and I was very much headed down that path. But thankfully, I got out uh, after watching the movie Black Hawk Down. It inspired me, decided to join the military. Two doctors told me boot camp would kill me because of a blood disorder I had since I was born. But as you can relate, I went anyway, obviously survived, did six years in the Marines, one tour in Iraq. Iraq. And from the Marines is when I started like figuring out other ways to push my limits. So I went mountain climbing, rock climbing, cave diving, uh, ice diving, ice climbing, like you name it, just the outdoors became kind of my playground. And then in 2007, I was deployed to Iraq uh, as an infantry Marine. Uh, great life experience, but came back, was diagnosed with PTSD, and then struggled with alcohol till the hit, till the hit a point where I considered taking my own life. And when I got that really hit me hard that I would even think that. So that's what led me to the research and years of research in neuroscience, psychology, spirituality, to, the, to this concept of fearvana. And ultimately it took me about three years to write the book about it. And now what we're doing with fearvana. And in that process is when I also came up with this idea to run across every country in the world because I, I knew I had a fairly addictive personality and I wanted to channel it into something meaningful. <laughs> Very cool. So let's, uh, let's, uh, let's back on up to sure. um, the... Like high school, college, uh, you said you got like heavily into drugs. Like, mm-hmm. was what what was your background growing up? Like, how do you just like you just go you 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 start off 
you know, like, you just went through like three cycles of like up, down, up, down, up, down, <laughs> yeah, up, down, there's a lot. all over the place. So like when, when, um, what, what started the cycle of, uh, I, I'm, I'm always really interested when people talk about addictive personalities and mm-hmm. uh, addiction because I have a fairly addictive personality. And if yeah. I didn't channel it towards working out and doing all these other things, I would, you know, I would have gone, uh, down a different road a long time ago. Right. And what's, <laughs> what's, uh, just take t- if, if, if you don't mind, take us back to like the, you know, the, the the drug aspect and then right mm-hmm. before uh kind of that story right before you enrolled in the marines sure. and kind of what was going on there yeah and then we can kind of talk about the marines and 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 the running and all that stuff S- sounds good yeah you know so i moved from uh, like i moved a lot when i was a kid i moved from bombay to bangalore uh then to singapore and at 13 i moved to austin so i was i had, I had no <laughs> different slightly different <laughs> yeah yeah so uh but, you know just exactly very, very, uh, it was it was a kind of i mean at the time though, I was very lost. I didn't moving around a lot. I wasn't sure who I was. And, and, you know, I was comfortable making friends in new places. And, and obviously I don't like blame my friends. Now I take full responsibility for my actions, but you know, being, being lost. And I guess also kind of having this addictive personality from a young age. I mean, even in Singapore, I used to like run barefoot on rocks just to test myself. Right. Like I used to be the one when I played rugby as a kid, if I got cut, I would love that cut because it was like a battle scar, you know? So like, I always had this kind of pushing my limits thing. And, and I, I always say that if I had found a group of friends that were maybe into, you know, big time rock climbers or mountaineers, I probably never would have gotten to drugs. But again, I don't blame my friends, of course, but collectively that personality channeled with this, with this environment. And, uh, and even, even with them, you know, like I was the first guy, me and one other guy were the first two in the group to start going from going into harder stuff. And that one other guy is no longer alive today, you know? So like that could have easily been me. And, uh, thankfully like watching that movie Black Hawk Down was literally a trigger that transformed my life. It led me to reading book after book on military and combat. And that's when I almost overnight said, okay, I'm going to stop this, uh, you know, this meaningless lifestyle and decided to enlist in the Marines. And because of my blood disorder, that took me about a year and a half to get in. So I had to kind of fight my way in. But being a post 9-11 world, they were eager for, you know, recruits like me who uh, <laughs> who, were, who wanted to come in no matter what. So I finally got managed to get my way into the boot, into Marine Corps boot camp. So what was the impetus right there to to sign up for the Marines? You just go from you go from, you know, pretty heavily into drugs yeah. and then you have this blood disorder and then where's the Marines come in? Like it, what, what, what tripped you back, uh, kind of back on to like, Hey, I'm, I need to get things sorted out. Yeah. Have you, have you seen the movie Black Hawk Down, Joel? I've, I've seen, Long I want to say I saw like half of it, okay. uh, back when it first came out. Cause I was like, Oh, cool war movie. But I never actually, um, I've got a whole list of movies that I've made it halfway through and then I, I just like, <laughs> I've got other things to do. I got you. Uh, so yeah, I mean, like I said, it's a war movie and it's a very, I mean, it's based on a true story. And in the movie, there's a scene where two chopper, uh, like two guys and two Delta snipers and a chopper volunteer to go down to the ground to, to set up a defensive perimeter, knowing that thousands of armed enemy personnel are headed their way, but they volunteer to go down anyway to protect one of their fallen soldiers and just like watching that like what kind of human beings would have that kind of courage what kind of people would be able to do that you know sacrifice ultimately they they both died and they received the medal of honor which is the highest award in the military for valor they received it posthumously of course uh but like that triggered something in me and i still remember like after the theater i went and read the book and then just reading book after book on military and combat it like to me like war became this experience in combat and life in the military to you know like war brings out the best and the worst in humanity and i've been i I can say blessed or cursed to see both as well and uh and i wanted to see what it bring out within me. I wanted to challenge myself. And really in, in the Marines, like the good of the group matters more than the good of the individual. And, you know, that's this drugs and this very selfish, meaningless
meaningless existence. I wanted to experience the other side of that where you're living for something bigger than yourself. And, uh, and, and it was, I mean, could absolutely no regrets. It was one of the most things I'm most proud of in my own life. So it was an amazing life experience that my whole time in the Marines. And so when you go, did you just like watch the movie and then head to the recruitment office? <laughs> no, it was, uh, I was actually, I mean, it, it, but it, that movie definitely was the start though. Cause then I started reading the books and then it, then initially I wanted to go army rangers because the movie was like my trigger and the movies about army rangers, but, but then, you know, Marines are the best, let's face it. So, uh, <laughs> so I thought I'll go to the Marines and then I, I wanted to go special forces, but at the time I wasn't a U.S. citizen. So you can't go, uh, become an officer or go special forces unless you're a citizen because it requires secret clearance so i just decided to go marines and i figured down the road i would uh, go into special forces but at that like eventually after my deployment and everything i decided to move on and uh <laughs> challenge myself in other ways okay and so you were there for six years six years in the uh, yeah about four and a half of that was in the reserves and one and a half was active okay mm-hmm. and uh as far as like shifting your personality like uh your personality did you Basically, take the. I'm, I'm curious how you go from, uh, you know, you said you're pretty heavily into drugs, uh, and then you watch a movie, and then all of a sudden you're a marine. Like, what's the what's the what's the progression there? Like, did, was it a big shock to the system? Were you having a lot of trouble? Like, what was the like adjustment period like for for you Joining as you in. you completely changed yeah. uh, the trajectory of your life? I mean, I remember going to boot camp, and obviously boot camp is pretty brutal. I don't know if you've seen in those boot camp movies, like Full Metal Jacket, but Marine Corps boot camp is fairly, you know, known and legendary for being pretty tough. But the thing is, like, I mean, yeah, first week I was, like, definitely had moments where I'm like, what the hell am I doing? Why did I sign up for this, you know? Uh, but ultimately, like, I wasn't very physically fit at the time. You know, obviously just came out of all these drugs. I started training for the Marines, but I was by no means one of the fittest people there. But mentally, I knew that this is exactly who I wanted to be, and so, like, I thrived and I, I, knew, I knew this one guy in boot camp who like before joining used to run like 16, 20 miles regularly, like wear Marine Corps shirts, you know, like really motivated, just wanted to be a Marine, but came to boot camp within like two, three weeks, he just broke down crying. So ultimately, you know, it was definitely the mental game that mattered because Marine Corps boot camp, they're going to push you till nobody can do any more pushups or run anymore. They want to see, are you still trying? Right. So I wasn't super fit at the time, but I knew that this is exactly what I wanted to do and who I wanted to be. So I, I loved boot camp, great life experience. I loved infantry school and I was blessed. I mean, I graduated infantry school as the honor graduate in my platoon. So like I really thrived in that, <laughs> in that experience and, and was definitely realized this was a far better path than, <laughs> than the one that I had been living before that. It's, it's always interesting to me when people talk about the, the boot camps and the hell weeks and everything yeah. like that, because I interviewed Paul Tharp, who was the command master chief over at Coronado for the SEALs. Mm. And, uh, I was asking him about his, um, hell week uh with the seals and he like i was like okay so did you go in you're like i really want to do this like it's going to be tough is you know did you ever want to give up he's just like i went there and i just like he just decided like he's like i'm i'm doing this like this is happening and it's it's funny to me that a lot of time the only the only real difference for people that like make it through a tough experience like boot camp or, or hell week or whatever, and, and hell week specifically is notorious for kicking people out or whatever, but deciding up front that you're you're gonna do it, and you said, "I'm uh, this is exactly who I want to be," and so then when all the stuff hits you in the face, then it's you know it's expected, and you just keep you keep rolling with it. Yeah, and. 
that that's cool to me. I mean, like that's the that's the same thing I deal deal with in uh, races. I just decide, you know, at the beginning of the race, this is this is happening and it's going to suck, and yeah. you're going to get over that pretty quickly, or you're going to you know give up and cry and go home. Yeah. No, totally, totally can relate. Obviously, with the things you do, and like you said, you can relate. And obviously, I don't know, like Navy Seal Hell Week, and I know I've heard the stories, and I know how brutal it is, at least from reading and stuff like that. But we have in the Marines, the boot camp, our version of that was called the Crucible, and uh, and I remember twisting my ankle in like the first hike in the Crucible. And I remember going to my drill instructor and he said, you can go to a medic, but if you do, they'll probably drop you from this platoon and you'll have to go to like a medical recovery platoon or you can grind it out. And I remember him like sort of saying, what are you going to do? Like testing me. And I was like, all right, I'm not going to, you know, I'm not going to go to medical recovery. I didn't want to be there any longer than I had to. So I was like, I want to graduate with my platoon. But because I was twisting my ankle, he would like punish me more to test me. Like I remember during the hikes, he would make me low crawl to the back of the thing and then run to the front of the, uh, uh, run, run, run to the front of our little like squad, the hikes. And then keep doing that back and forth and eventually like my ankle became this purple ball but like the pain numbs out and as i'm sure you can relate when you do this like mentally and physically the pain numbs and you just become like i think you kind of become one with it in this really beautiful way that allows you to uh keep pushing through and it's a it's an incredible experience i think as you can relate for sure <laughs> yeah after after a while you just you're like okay that that's gonna that's, be there for a bit yeah. and so in some ways the, the shooting pains are almost worse than just like the dull, like the the active pain that just kind of is there no matter what yeah like if it's like if if you feel it every single time like you hit then you're like oh no i'm reminded every single time <laughs> but uh there is something where you're just like okay i've got 12 miles left to go and this is gonna suck but i'm gonna i'm gonna knock it out yeah yeah it's so Oh, go ahead. No, no, I was just saying it's a beautiful thing when I think yeah. the best thing about those moments is discovering your own ability to rise above that pain, rise above the suffering to accomplish something. And I think that like when you discover who you are in that, it's an absolutely beautiful experience. Well, it's interesting too, when you realize that pain is just a sensation and it's just like it, it <laughs> yeah, if you, you break your foot or whatever, it's a specific issue, but there's, there's a interesting aspect where you can go hurt yourself like that and you can push through it. And, you know, fitness wise may not be the most medically sound <laughs> advice to do, but you can do it. And most people don't even get to the point. They're like, okay, well I ran like, you know, a couple miles and I was out of breath and then I gave up and you're like, well, like you're going to be out of breath. Like that's part of the issue. And, yeah. and when you realize that you can, you can go beyond being out of breath, you can go beyond being tired. You can go beyond, um, even pain and hurting and injuries and you can keep going in spite of that mm -hmm. uh it's your it just kind of opens your eyes to everything else that uh you could potentially go after and and try to do yeah it's like a rebirth right it like builds a new you that you can then bring with you into all areas of your life it's a beautiful thing that's cool <laughs> so you 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 make it through uh you make it through boot camp uh, and then you said you were in the reserves for a while? Yeah. So as soon as I came out, I, I volunteered to go to Iraq every chance I could get. Like, that's why I signed up. I wanted to go to war. Um, and admittedly, I had a fairly naive perspective about war <laughs> and the nature of it. Uh, but that's what I, so, so as soon as I joined the reserve unit, I kept trying to go. And twice they told me I'm going and then canceled it last minute. Um, so like, I remember withdrawing from school. So when I finally did end up going, like I had so many going away parties, people just thought that I'm like, you know, <laughs> is he actually going to war or is he just having parties saying that he is? <laughs> but yeah, finally, then three years later after enlisting, uh, I, when I got my opportunity and was sent to Iraq. 
And then what did you do when you were out there? So I was in infantry uh, and, you know, I made a very conscious effort to really learn principles of counterinsurgency warfare, to learn Arabic. So I think my officers saw that. So they pulled, like, I was initially a squad leader in like a corporal, as a non-commissioned officer in charge of 12 Marines. But I got moved from that. And first I was really upset about that. And I got put into the little intelligence, intelligence self of our infantry unit. So, which meant my job was like, we had a wide variety of things we did out there. Uh, I mean, we were out, out the wire almost every day from the seven months because I was in the company commander squad. So we were doing all kinds of things from like searching, you know, searching the desert for bombs, engaging with people in the streets, going into meetings. I was like one of the only enlisted men who would be in meetings filled with officers and senior Iraqi leaders to like figure out how to rebuild a country. So that was really interesting from that perspective. But like one of my jobs out there was to walk out in front of our vehicle convoys to look for IEDs, uh, improvised explosive devices before they could blow up our vehicles. So that was a fairly dangerous job, as you can imagine. So it sort of became a running joke out there that Nanavati is going to get blown up today funny right so <laughs> well interesting you said that i uh i think i have do you know who rob jones is yes yes yeah yeah so he's, he's a awesome. marine id yep. I, I don't know his uh, official title title in the marines yet but uh, i still got to do my research on that but uh i met him because he was doing 31 marathons in 30 yeah. days or yeah uh but he's gonna be on the podcast here soon so we're gonna have oh, a bunch nice. of uh, a good representation <laughs> of love it um id clearing marines <laughs> yeah no his story is amazing in fact he was uh, uh i don't know if you've seen my fiorvana book trailer he was in it too so there's, there's... I, I, I did see that i was like ah, i know i know many of those people in the <laughs> yeah, fiorvana yeah, trailer yeah. <laughs> dean carnassus noah galloway uh iron cowboy all those guys are in it <laughs> very cool yeah um, so you, you spend what, a year and a half clearing IDs? Is that seven months in, seven months in Iraq. Okay. Marine, Marine, uh, tours are seven months. Okay. I thought you said you were there for your active, so oh, you're active, active with other stuff. Like, yeah, like with training, we waited a five month workup for the, uh, for Iraq and then, you know, like three months, three, three months of boot camp, two months of infantry school. So collectively all of that was active duty time. Okay. Yeah. And then what happens when, uh, what happens when you come home? So when I came back, I came to my senior year of undergrad that was a hard adjustment, <laughs> to say the least. I mean, I didn't have the level of self-awareness I do now, so I was very, like, uh, you know, a, very, a lot of disdain for college students who whine about, like, really stupid things compared to what I had just seen in war. And forget about my own struggles in war, like the Iraqi people who had been living for years under, under oppressive regimes, you know, and, like, the struggles they had been through and the resilience through which they handled it. And you come back to college and people are just whining about stupid, stupid things, you know. And now, like, I'm looking finals, back. Finals. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, finals and this, that, and the other thing. And, like, I mean, looking back, you can't blame him. Everybody's got the level of perspective and awareness that they have, so you can't blame him for not, like, but at the time again i didn't have this kind of you know awareness that i do now so i was very judgmental and i struggled i mean i remember every time i would drink at a party i'd end up probably like more often than not we'd end up like crying and go, calling my buddy being like dude let's just go back and so we try i try to volunteer to go back to iraq go back to afghanistan uh as much as possible but that once again didn't happen uh so like the first time i volunteered it didn't happen until three years so i didn't get my chance and finally after i met my wife in um when we were doing our masters in Syracuse, New York. And at that point, you know, I said, let's move on. I can find other ways to challenge myself and other ways to serve uh, our collective human family in, in, in more meaningful ways. Because of course, you know, the, the thing with the Marines is you don't, you, there's no, I mean, the challenge is there, you're, you are serving and it a group, I mean, separate from the politics on the ground, you're just doing something meaningful, but you have no freedom, of course, at all. And in Iraq, you know, like the officers told you to do something and you had to go do it. And oftentimes there were many stupid things that we had to go do, but we had to do it. <laughs> so I, I didn't want to put my life on the line for something like that. You know, like I, if I figured if I'm gonna put the line, life on the line, let it be on my terms. So that's what had me get so, out. So you had this addictive personality coming in, you, you go in, you have these 
really intense ID clearing <laughs> experiences. You come back. Um, were, was it a temptation to get back into drugs then? Was it something that you were thinking about? Was like always around or did you just close off that part of your life? Yeah, that part had been like very closed off. I mean, even like weed, I'd be like hanging around people. They'd all be smoking weed and I wouldn't like, there was not even like a temptation. The alcohol was, uh, uh, I mean, I was drinking at the time, you know, college. I never really saw it as a problem at the time. Like, you know, I was still doing well in college. I did, I got great grades in undergrad, great grades in my master's program. And, you know, I was like party like a college student. So I'm like, whatever, you know, so when weekend parties roll around, I would get pretty freaking hammered, but I never really saw it as a problem. Cause my, even, even later on in my life, when I started to see it a problem, my thing was I would never like drink every day or anything. But when I did drink, I got pretty freaking drunk and that was clearly a problem. Uh, so, but I only saw it as such much, much later on. And I was only diagnosed with PTSD like years after the war as well, when it finally became like a problem. And then my wife sort of pushed me to say, Hey, let's go to the VA and figure out what's going on. And that's when I was diagnosed, uh, years later. And that's also, again, what led me to the research, which led me to Fearvana. So grateful for all the experiences, the highs and the lows. So, so what's that like when you get the realization that you need to go see someone for PTSD? Because I think everybody hears about this stuff. They, they, they hear veterans coming back with it. Um, you know, they may or may not even know what it is and it might show up in different ways for different people. But what is that? Um, what did that, what did that look like for you? So, I mean, it led to that because my wife and me were going through some problems in our marriage, uh, and, and, you know, in multiple ways, like just connection problems, as well as to be very frank and vulnerable about our physical problems. And I realized it wasn't a physical issue. There was some psychological thing happened. So my wife is like, let's just go get it, you know, checked out and stop running away from it. So obviously it was like initially it hesitant. I mean, this was again, years after the war. So I was like, there's nothing wrong. I'm fine. And like, not really seeing at that point, I started to kind of recognize that alcohol was a problem. Like, you know, cause I knew that when I did drink, I drank a lot. <laughs> and, um, so it was hard going there, getting, getting that diagnosis. I mean, even in the, you know, all the meetings, it was always hard bringing stuff up. Um, I mean, my biggest thing is a struggle with for a long time is, so as I mentioned, when I first joined the unit, I was volunteering to go to war, uh, ever since I joined. And it was actually with a buddy of mine, we both volunteered together and we were like the same kind of Marine. His name was Corporal Jacob Neal. And, um, uh, like we, we, when we used to do rifle range, like we would shoot together and compete together, but I'd always beat them by like one point on the runs. I would, I would, we would start together, but I'd beat them by like a few seconds. So one summer while I was vacationing in India, um, here in India, he actually ended up, did find, finally found a unit to go with and he went without me and he never made it back. And I always felt that if I had gone with him, I could have been in his seat because he, he got promoted to corporal. He was a good Marine. And I felt like, and I, I get rationally how like crazy this might sound, but emotionally it was like, maybe I would have gotten that promotion and I would have been in his seat. So when I came back from the war, it was like, I didn't get shot. I didn't lose limbs. I didn't get killed. What the hell have I done? You know, it's like, I didn't suffer enough to earn my place. And there was that guilt just permeating through my life and having the structure of college sort of like gave me some structure to, to, you know, to navigate that. Like, okay, I had, I had to turn in grades. I had things, but when I left college, I had a corporate job for a year and a half and then I started my own business. But as you know, I mean, you run your own business. It's like, if you don't impose structure upon yourself and you don't have some rigid, you know, discipline, it's easy to just say, okay, today I won't do shit. You know, like I'll just watch TV or whatever. And without that externally imposed structure, I started to delve into darker places that like that guilt came up. I just felt again, like what right do I have? So I was always kind of putting a barrier on myself without really knowing it that I didn't, because I felt like I didn't deserve to be happy, didn't deserve to be successful or anything. And that really, so that when it finally pushed me, it was hard to hear, but, uh, but Again, it led me to like the darkest moments when I thought about taking my own life, but 
I'm also grateful because that eventually led me to the research that led me to Fearvana and everything I'm doing now. So, uh, you know, and I'm just, I mean, as you can probably tell from my story, I'm the kind of person who has to like make tons of mistakes, fall a lot to rise back up. <laughs> but generally when I do rise back up, I think I rise back up stronger. So, <laughs> so, so how does that, how, how did you just go from, okay, going to the VA to, um, to to doing the the research that you're talking about and and if you can talk about specifically what type of research it is sure sure um but like how do you how do you how did that happen like what was that experience like were you um did i mean yeah what was that experience yeah. like so like after go i mean i was going fairly regularly to the va then to i guess to you know the therapist to get checkups and and, and whatever to talk about it to figure it out and uh and often it would lead me to drinking more to be honest with you and i remember like after one like five to six day binge drinking session just downing like liters of vodka and alcohol i woke up thinking that you know that this pattern of drinking and sobering up is never going to change so what's the point of going on and like the fact that i even thought that was very hard for me so it then said okay something needed to change so i started researching reading book after book again like i mean that was my pathway out like when i got out of drugs to join the marines so this was once again my path out reading all kinds of books on neuroscience on psychology on spirituality to initially just to heal myself but of course i realized that i'm by no means the only person in the world suffering right so how do we all navigate that and you know like one of the like so to kind of make it tangible in terms of the research one of the most valuable things i started figuring out was that the symptoms of post-traumatic stress are not indicative of a disorder but although they were used to label me as PTSD like that's why I always say I was diagnosed with PTSD as opposed to I have PTSD because like uh, like for example I was very jumpy with loud noises I didn't like crowds and that was those they, those were symptoms that they said okay you I think they rated me on some score and if I remember correctly like my score was 55 and and now looking back it was kind of crazy to me that this is how you diagnose someone with PTSD it's just, just like these little symptoms and then you had a score and it's and now okay it means you have PTSD but to me like being jumpy when there's loud noises my brain had learned to associate loud noises with death inevitably I was a lot more jumpy and you know emotionally powerful experiences live last live longer in your memory and they stay deeper implanted into your implicit memories into the amygdala which is the sort of the fear center of the brain and inevitably i was more jumpy with loud noises inevitably i didn't like crowds because you know crowds can mean a lot of people are going to kill you in the war so you kind of get like those things were just became part of me same thing with the survivor's guilt i learned to channel my survivor's guilt at something meaningful like today for example i have a picture up of my friend on my wall and it says this should have been you earn this life so it's like learning that every emotion can be useful, you know, because we live in a world that demonizes emotions like fear, stress, anxiety, guilt, anger, like these are quote unquote negative, but they're not negative. And I don't, there are no good or bad emotions. There's just emotions and it's up to us to decide what we do with them. So becoming conscious of that fact was really valuable for me and realizing, I mean, you know, like when you do these runs, it's scary, it's stressful, it's hard, there's anxiety, but those are not bad emotions. Those are just emotions. Those are natural emotions to experiences like war or experiences like running, running in Antarctica, stuff like the intense experiences. And then you can channel it into like, cause that fear becomes energy as Richard Branson himself says. So learning some of that stuff about the nature of the brain, about how memories work, how I can then recreate new memories allowed me to shift my own experiences and, um, ultimately find value in all of them, including my guilt. Interesting. And so what is that? Um, once you, once you do that, you said you were running your own business. Uh, I don't know if Fearvana was up and running quite yet, but what did that shift look like into starting Fearvana and then, uh, kind of what was the purpose of that? It took me about three years to write the book. So I was doing business in sort of this quote unquote expert space, like coaching and stuff like that, mostly just one-on-one coaching. And it was going well. Again, I was like, 
doing well enough to, you know, live a good quality of life. But I had this sort of subconscious barrier that to really push me to the next level, uh, which I only discovered later. But again, it was going well. Uh, and then I remember Jack Canfield, the chicken soup of the soul author, I did some work with him in my own healing, um, when to kind of get out, get over my, my struggles after the war. And he once told me, I asked him what he would do differently if he could go back in his career. And he said he would written his book sooner. So that was an inspiration for me to, okay, let me write a book. And like, I knew I didn't have much of a platform, but a book becomes this thing that just is, it's so expansive beyond you, right? Like it can reach all corners of the globe and touch lives without your physical presence being there. And, and I thought, okay, let me, let me start writing a book. And I was trying to think what, what to write about. And I knew I could, I sort of had with life experience, I had mastery over this. I could claim expertise in this topic of fear, right? Like, and, and pushing ourselves. And that was like the biggest barrier that stops people. So it was also something worthy to write about. And I also wanted to shift the, the relationship that we all have the fear because people say things like we should be fearless or don't be scared of anything and that to me was so wrong and it's what it's what makes people feel fear of fear and that's what stops them is not the fear it's the fear of fear so that's what led me to uh, the like saying i'm going to write a book and my wife came up with the word fearvana and when she did i was like that's gold like you know i trademarked it bought 20 different domains around it <laughs> i was like okay this is it that's the book that's like you know and in, initially even like we were going to call it the other side of fear but i'm so glad we didn't because we we, we uh we decided to stick with fearvana and now fearvana is like everything that's the whole the the, the, the essentially what now what i'm working to is like what richard branson is to virgin i want to be to fear Havana and build it out into many different verticals but uh that's what led me to the book and the I mean, it took me about three years of writing i must have trashed like about a hundred thousand words worth of work to get to where it is now but i'm grateful for it because i think it led to a lot better book and as i think you might have seen i've been blessed with some pretty cool endorsements include including the dalai lama who wrote the forward for the book so and that wouldn't have happened if it wasn't like trashing those hundred thousand words worth of work it wouldn't have happened if i wasn't scared about writing a bad book no, it's uh, that's a that's a decent endorsement, I think, right? <laughs> right, yeah, <laughs> certainly can't complain yeah. about that. <laughs> it was uh, tremendously uh, just a huge honor and very humbling for sure. Uh, and so then, how did that happen? How did that merge with your next project? Which is, uh, I think, I don't know if we connected about Fearvana first or about this project first, but uh, that's kind of where we've been kind of talking back and forth and. Uh, yeah, uh, you're like, oh, it sounds crazy, but it, it doesn't sound that crazy. It sounds a little crazy, not not. <laughs> yeah, no, I mean, not so crazy. <laughs> yeah, you can absolutely relate, considering what you what you what you've done. Yeah, I'm like, I'm like, that sounds interesting. I'm, I'm in, <laughs> right? So, um, no, th- so that kind of came about in my own healing to come up with this this. I, I I wanted something to channel my conscious energy to give me focus to become a lifelong mission because you know to me like I don't know if I'll do all countries. I don't know when I'll do it, but I know that the journey itself will be beautiful, and it already has been. Like I've done eight countries so far. I kind of side lined it a little bit to um to finish the book and to to start building out the 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 ecosystem of fearvana because like doing the eight countries was a beautiful experience for me but what i wanted to be now is something so much bigger than me so we started a nonprofit called five fearvana foundation uh and we when i do these runs now moving forward i want it to be like in service of something so i want to go from being sort of the performer to being the platform from which i can create others to perform right Uh, like a stage to shine a light on other people's greatness and and their fearvana moments kind of thing and so i mean i just have beautiful experiences on the runs so far that I, like personally but now i wanted to like build finish the book build fearvana out a little bit and so when i get back onto it which i'm planning on next year i can now leverage the larger platform that's growing and continuing to grow I mean, 
we could reach this huge pool of college students once we build out the Firvana Academy, which is essentially an educational institution for the younger generation to teach them these kind of life skills that they're not learning in school. And, uh, and then we want to shine light on these stories that I've experienced personally on my runs and share like a different side of humanity, you know what I mean? Because you turn on the news, what do you, you see? Human beings are evil, like the world is falling apart. And I think that becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy that, that like, oh, this is who we are. But like uh, if we share a different side of humanity, and I'll give you a small example. I'm sure you've experienced this on your own journeys kind of thing, but like when I was running 55 miles across Luxembourg, I was midway through this small town in Luxembourg. I couldn't even tell you what it was. I was like kind of hurting. I was suffering. <laughs> and uh, I stopped to put a little wrap around my knee, like to, to just, yeah, to like just to wrap around my knee. And this gentleman, like small town in Luxembourg saw me and he could tell like this scruffy looking brown dude <laughs> like suffering in the middle of this town. Didn't speak any English. I barely spoke any French, but through, I was kind of showing him on my phone what I was doing that I was running from south to north. And, you know, he invited me into his home for water, like a complete stranger inviting me into his home for water gave me a big hug as we parted ways and it was such a beautiful experience of how like you know when you struggle when you suffer together like jim jones who i know you follow bobby maximus it's the gym that trained the actors from 300 but like he always says a family that suffers together stays together which i absolutely love because <laughs> because you know it's like um it and it's so true and i've experienced that tangibly in in you know in these in these runs in the marines and now i want to share this side of humanity with people as i get back on it next year so i'm going to continue doing some smaller countries um and in two years, two to two, two to three years, I want to do the U.S. and and in, in India after that. So I'm I'm working on trying to do something cool with that. Maybe tie it into like a documentary or even a movie release because I feel like my story can be movie worthy. And we're trying to see what we can do to make that happen. I have some some uh, you know some things in in the works on that front. So if I can like create a Fearvana movie and tie a run across the U.S. to that, that would be pretty awesome. So <laughs> how so how many how many countries you're you're going to is it. What what list are you working off of? Do you have a specific list? Is it the one ninety three? Is it know, like the one ninety six? There's a there's like five different country <laughs> right. lists, and depends on who you talk yeah. to. They'll get real mad that you didn't use their version or whatever. <laughs> I'm not thinking that far ahead, to be honest with you, because I like I, you know like it's one of those things that it can get too daunting. So I'm just like thinking, okay, what's the next one? What's the next one? What's the next one? So there's a few that I'm like I'm, uh, that I want to do in Africa and Europe, small like smaller ones next year. Um, Okay. That I want to get back into the middle of next year. Um, right, as I mentioned to you, I think before we started, you know, talking here is right now I'm in India and I'm working with this startup guru, like amazing dude whose name actually also happens to be Akshay, but we're working to build out the Firvana empire, if you will, and build it out into many different verticals. So as we start building the foundation for that, um, that'll, that'll give me the, 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 the space to say, okay, you know, now things are moving. Like we have partners in place, investors, all kinds of stuff. Let me go take a little quote unquote break and, uh, <laughs> and go do a few runs and a few trips. Like I haven't done an adventure trip in a little while. So I'm kind of like fiending to get back out there myself. <laughs> So, so what, which countries have you done already? I've done Luxembourg, Greenland, uh, which was the big one. I've done uh, Monaco, fairly small, um, which is the, I have this list. It's been a little while since I've done it. What are the, what are the ones I've done? Okay. I should know this. Uh, <laughs> uh, Malta, which is 20, yeah, Barbados. I actually got, I got okay. heat exhaustion in Barbados. Uh, so I was supposed to do like a bunch more countries in, in the Caribbean on that. And I got like severe heat exhaustion and was in kind of bad shape. So I ended up just doing Barbados. It was 28 miles across there. So what is that? I can't remember how many I've said, but those are a few. Malta, Luxembourg, yeah. uh, Monaco, Greenland. I think there's there's a few more I'll have to look up. The Vatican. Yeah, Lincoln Vatican. Stein. Yeah, small ones like that. Vatican yeah. was just basically like a little stroll across the... <laughs> but, Get a walk yeah, backwards yeah. over it. Greenland was the big one. That was a cross-country skiing trip, uh, 350 miles 
miles. Luxembourg was a little bit big, 55 miles. Barbados was 28. Malta was about 20. And some of these were kind of back to back. So it was like, like by the time I got to 20 miles in Malta, I had just finished Luxembourg and a, and a few others. And, and I was like, exhausted but it was beautiful like as you know like i think that the, the the greater the exhaustion the greater the high when you finish like even barbados i ended up getting like pretty bad heat like severe full body heat cramps and heat exhaustion like on the toilet ready to throw up after i was done but because i was i was ready for the mileage but i wasn't really ready for the heat and, and the humidity i wasn't prepared mm-hmm. for that and that was again my fault just but again lesson learned but uh it was it was cool you know i mean <laughs> having those experiences like and again through the suffering i connected so much with people like this one woman gave me a free hotel in barbados to sponsor because she loved what i was doing after the run when i was like struggling with cramps she stopped and bought me like coconut water on this on this on this like street the uh, like vendor guy and he just heard what i did she told him and he just you know put his fist in he was like respect man and give me a little pound like like there's these beautiful moments of like human <laughs> connection that happened when people see you rise above yourself to accomplish something and it's like ultimately arbitrary right? like i mean i ran from one of the countries so the, the meaning behind Behind it is what you what you make it mean and what you assign it and uh to me it's like the human experiences that come from that that are really powerful and i think i think people underestimate too what they can get out of something because they see they they see people talk about oh i was sick i got heat exhaustion uh, i was super tired whatever and what if you haven't done it what you won't ever know is how good it feels to have done that. Um, and like, it, like it sounds terrible. It sounds stupid. And if you're listening and you haven't done something like that, like they probably think I'm you know, like talking crazy, but there's something about those times where you, you look back, I had this race, uh, I had this race in Thailand where, um, you know, I basically had the same thing with heat exhaustion and uh, I somehow finished it or whatever. And I'm just like, think about that race all the time. It's like, that was one of those moments where you got to, know yourself pretty well or you know and i had this other race in like finland where i ran out of water and everything that could go wrong in finland went wrong i was eating snow um i had to like melt snow down to water then it refroze because it was so cold out like everything went wrong that could possibly ever go wrong but i still look back on that race and i'm like that was that was one of the like my favorite experiences of the last year and um it, it doesn't happen like it, it's going out doing those difficult things creating those memories of terrible horrible situations and uh knowing that you're going to get through it and when you have perspective on how tough things can actually be you realize okay the thing that i'm pushing myself through is really tough and it's really hard but it's it's not it's not my breaking point yet. yeah and um when you do that like you get a different perspective on all sorts of other issues in your own life uh, in the world and uh i i don't know i think i think doing those hard things is is key and if you're not doing it you're missing out absolutely you know like i couldn't agree with you more i mean i remember reading your uh blogs about that and it's so awesome man i love that story i can imagine like in it obviously it's just pure suffering but like looking back on it and sometimes even when you're in it you know like it's this beautiful thing like that's what i define fearvana as i call it the bliss that results from engaging your fears to pursue your own worthy struggle so your own worthy struggle could be anything you know it doesn't have to be running ultras or climbing mountains like you or me it it can be like it could be writing a book building a business raising a child you know like playing chess i have a friend who's 
about to be a grandmaster in chess and her struggles, but that's like her worthy struggle, you know, like we all have our worthy struggle and there's absolute bliss in finding, like I firmly believe the greatest gift in life is finding what that worthy struggle is and like embarking upon it, learning how to smile in the face of that struggle and taking on one challenge at a time. Because ultimately, as you know, like whatever worthy path you, whatever you pursue in life, even if you choose not to pursue anything, life is going to be hard, you know? So it's not about like finding the joy. It's asking yourself how much, how much suffering are you willing to endure to get the results you want? And, and if you, the, the more you're willing to like endure suffering, the more you find within yourself. And ultimately it's, it's like, it leads to not just success, but joy as well. Well, I, I think I think something that people get hung up on sometimes is they're chasing happiness all the time, and they always want to be happy. And uh, there's that question of what's one counterintuitive but important belief, or something that most people think is yeah, you know, most people don't believe, or whatever or that you think is important. I think Peter Peel yeah, asked that yeah. question. <laughs> and uh, my thing is always, I think happiness is a byproduct of the things that you're doing. And if you're doing, you know, we have we haven't talked uh, a ton about that worthy. Uh, difficult thing, but um, like that's what I always tell. It's like you want to be able to do hard stuff that is worth it. Like you don't want to do hard stuff that you're just like hating yeah, the whole time and pissed yeah. about it. But if if it's worth it and you want to, uh, what's on the other side of it? It's those really difficult, uh, really tough, challenging uh, experiences that you look back on three months, six months, you know, two years, five years, whatever later. And be like, you know, that was that was a game changer. That was a big deal. That was, you know, that was a memory. I want to, you know, and and every time you think about it, you just get like a stupid smile on your face. <laughs> like that, that to me is 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 more interesting than like this kind of surface level happiness that's kind of riding day to day that doesn't really come out of. Um, it's it's more of a like a saccharine sweet, uh, ha- like surface level versus like a deep deep happiness that like you did something that you accomplished yeah. something and it was really tough because and you and you challenged like your soul yeah. while doing it. yeah no totally agree man and that's like the, and that's part of the problem is like we live in a world that's always looking for the easy way out you know like the demonize emotions like fear and stress like you should be stress-free and i'm like no like just like the body grows through stress so does the mind and the spirit you know and actually even like the largest study on happiness there's a great book that you might have read uh flow the psychology of optimal experience um in it uh, I haven't okay. read it. Uh, no, it's yeah. awesome. Great book. But anyway, in it, like Professor Chick Mensihai, he did this large study on happiness, thousands of people across the globe for decades. And he actually concludes that like in all this research that the best moments in our lives are not the passive, receptive, relaxing times. The best moments usually occur when a person pushes their body and minds to their limits in a voluntary effort to accomplish something difficult and worthwhile. And that's a direct quote from the book, actually. So that's that key part there. It's a voluntary effort. Like you said, it's your worthy struggle, right? Like it doesn't have to be the same as somebody else. But when you find that and to accomplish it, it's it's pure bliss, man. It's like bliss. It's success. I mean, that's how you get more too in, in every way. So uh, I, I think inviting people to start pushing themselves and discovering what that worthy struggle is and stop looking for like a fearless, stress-free and anxiety-free life. Like instead seek out a meaningful stress, a meaningful fear. Like it's, it's, it's not that you want to avoid stress. It's you want to become someone who can bear it. And I think so many people get so worried that they're not going to be able to handle the stress that they shy away from it. And it's really becoming, it's about becoming someone who can know that you can perform under that level of stress and keep moving forward. And when you can do that, then, then there is less fear. I think, I think then, then there is the fear instead of shying away from the moment you can push towards it. It's more of a, um, like fear and excitement are kind of two, 
two sides of the same coin. And it's just like, <laughs> if you're fearing something, you're like, oh, I'm scared of it, but, and I don't want to do it. And excitement is like, oh, it's scary, but I, I'm looking forward yeah, to going ahead and yeah. doing it. Very much two sides of the same coin, like you said. Totally agree. <laughs> That's cool. So I was uh, I was actually on the way back from South Africa. I think I te- I think I texted you or emailed you about this, but I was on the way back from South Africa after seven seven seven, and found myself right outside uh, Liechtenstein, and ended up uh, like impromptuly like running across Liechtenstein, which is I found it was like the sixth smallest country <laughs> in the world or something yeah, like yeah. that, uh, and it's like thirteen miles. And then I found. I was like, oh, okay, this is kind of interesting. And then I went down to Monaco and Monaco was yeah, like three miles. Yeah. And then I was like, interesting. I could start doing it. And then I was like, I think I should doing that. That's like his thing. I can't, I can't take that. But um, it's interesting how like it was a, it was a two or three mile run. You know, Monaco's yeah. super small. So it's like, it was a rock. I think I did. I threw, I threw some stuff in my backpack and ran across it. Um, but it was one of those things that you said earlier that I wanted to come back to was you kind of define, you, you put your own meaning on things and like it was, you know, you could run three miles pretty much anywhere, but if you decide that you're going to like put a structure in and around it and you're going to run three, uh, three miles across this certain piece of land in like Southern France, all of a sudden you got one country yeah. down <laughs> and then all of a sudden you have, you know, 13 13 miles between Austria and Switzerland or whatever uh, in this little valley where cows are grazing and there's nothing else going on in Liechtenstein other than people are storing money, I think in banks. But uh, like if you, if you run those 13 miles and all of a sudden it's like another country. And that was really interesting as far as like setting, setting the table for different accomplishments that you could go out and, and thinking about making your own structures for things that, you know, like maybe, maybe add more meaning to your life in in small but interesting ways yeah yeah totally totally agree man because yeah ultimately like what you know why do anything like but i think when we find meanings and find give give that give that it uh it adds a lot and and gives you it gives you purpose it gives you focus something to channel your consciousness and energy too right so that's uh that's the that's the worthy struggle now so for me basically my whole rest of my life is building out firvana like the the universe and uh and fitness and this then this journey so like like fitness and entrepreneurship are my two my two paths and that's that's like my whole worthy struggle for the rest of my my days (laughs) all right everybody thank you guys so much for listening if you like the podcast please head over to itunes google stitcher art 19 wherever you're listening to the podcast and leave us a review it helps us reach more people and challenge them to change their mindset and their fitness and do something impossible with their lives so that's the number one way you can help out the podcast also if you'd like to support the podcast there's a couple ways you can do that as I mentioned at the beginning of the show, you can head on over to impossiblegear.com and pick up some apparel that's going to help improve your bench press, improve your deadlift, and make you run faster. Uh, check it out. It looks awesome. It feels awesome. Makes you awesome. So why not go pick some up today? Uh, also, there's a couple apps that we've built to actually help you push your limits and get stronger, get faster. First app is Cold Shower Therapy. If you're not familiar, five minutes, 30 days, cold showers, change your mindset, change your life. Uh, the app is built just for you guys. It's got a huge community and over uh, a bunch of people with a bunch of streaks. And I think the longest person is going on three, maybe four plus years straight 
of cold showers. So you can join the community, find a bunch of other crazy people that are pushing themselves and do it yourself as well. It's a free it's a free download on iTunes and Google Play. So just head over to coldshowertherapy.com to find out more. And lastly, movewellapp.com. If you're an athlete trying to get stronger or you're recovering from an injury or you're just sitting at your desk and you've got a lot of pain, Movewell app is the mobility coach that can help you start feeling better. It's a free app to download that shows you mobility routines based on your specific need, whatever that is. It's a couple months it's a couple bucks a month if you want the pro version. And it's the best money you can spend on your body, period. So that's it. Moveallapp.com. Again, if you guys like the show, please go leave a review. Thank you for listening. And remember, push your limits, do something impossible, and of course, boom. Boom.